Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Moving forwards in a culture, moving going backwards. Uh, we've done a few talks the last few weeks, and uh, this week we're going to wrap that up as we talk about uh, generosity. Uh, firstly, though, uh, C.T. Studd, Charles Studd. C.T. Studd in the 1880s was a well-respected man. He was a gentleman of England, a part of the upper class, and one of the first test cricketers of England as well, for any cricket historians or cricket buffs. He was part of one of those early test teams there for England. Uh, It was at Cambridge University that C.T. Studd was soundly converted under the ministry of D.L. Moody. Uh, Back in the late 1800s, C.T. Studd took Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. Later that year, C.T. met up with Hudson Taylor and they discussed about going to China uh, with the China Inland Mission Society at that particular time. Uh, C.T. Studd did go. He went with six other friends. They were known as the Cambridge Seven, and they went across to China. Uh, While in China, C.T. turned 25 years old, and he stood to inherit £30,000. That's about probably $80,000, give or take, uh, uh, in converted to dollars. Uh, back then, though, but today, that £30,000 would be about £3.8 million if you did the inflation and convert it through to today's time, uh, which is probably about $10 million thereabouts. So he came from a very wealthy family. 25 years old, he was to inherit this sizable fortune, and he did inherit that fortune. What did he do with that? C.T. Studd decided to give it all away for the cause of the gospel. In a letter he wrote in 1888, he said this about giving away his money at that particular time. We have felt the Spirit's drawings to this course after asking for a very long time, to whom shall we give it? The money he's talking about there. Moreover, we have felt that in this way we shall better reach the people as being the Lord Jesus' way of coming to preach salvation. Hallelujah. We can also thank God by his grace that we have not done this, he's talking about giving away his money, that we have not done this by constraint, but cheerfully and of a ready mind and willing heart. Praise the Lord, amen, as CT finished off that letter. That is sacrificial generosity for the cause of the gospel in a very, very major way from a very, very wealthy person. And today we're going to talk about that, how the gospel changes us and transforms us into being incredibly generous people. So if you've got your Bibles, please uh, go to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read from verses uh, 10 through to 20. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through to 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That'll be important later on. Just think about this word here, content, that Paul's learned. That I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, 
and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent, me for, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Lord, we thank you today that we can come and open up the Bible, uh, your living eternal word. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would give us eyes to see. Not so much physical eyes, although we do need physical eyes. We need the eyes of our understanding, the eyes of our hearts to be open today. And we know that you can do that. So we pray that you would glorify Jesus through this word now as we talk about sacrificial generosity from a transformed heart that brings glory to God and we experience the joy in carrying that out. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the book of Philippians, as we've just read from there, is a very affectionate letter written 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul. That was the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians then. Two really strong themes run through this book of Philippians. And what they are is this, it's joy in hard places. That's one theme that goes through the book of Philippians. And the other theme that it goes through here is partnership in the gospel as well. And for those who are in the partnership next week, we're going to talk a little bit about that. They're the two themes, and today we want to pick up on both of those themes as we think you hear about the joy of the generous. The joy of the generous. And we're doing this in the context here of our last talk being uh, moving forwards in a culture going backwards. So living a transformed life or a gospel-shaped life uh, amongst a culture around about us that's actually going backwards in the way that God has intended us to live. Uh, our big idea here today is going to be this. Uh, sacrificial generosity towards gospel ministry uh, will see God meet our current needs and reap joy both now and in eternity. Sacrificial generosity towards gospel ministry will see God meet our current needs and reap joy both now and in eternity is where we're going to go as we think about this passage of scripture here as uh, we read it through. I guess firstly, what is generosity? Well, here's how dictionary.com explains it. Generosity, readiness or liberality in giving, freedom from meanness or smallness of mind or character, largeness or fullness, amplitude. That's how dictionary.com defines generosity for us. Generosity is a willingness to give out of the resources that you have. But not just to give. To be generous is to liberally give, not with a small mind, but with a large mind. Not with a small heart, but with a large heart. Generosity is not liberally to sorry, generosity is to liberally give, not thinking about ourselves and what I can get out of this arrangement. That would be a small minded way of doing it. But generosity is to give out of a large heart thinking, how can I help and how can I bless others by my giving? Thinking of them first. 
And deep generosity then becomes this sacrificial generosity as well. We'll be called that deep generosity. But this others-centred generosity can be very difficult. Often we find it's easy to be generous to ourselves in life, but to be really generous towards others, we find that challenging. We find that sort of pushes back against how we want to live. Now, we can be generous. There's no question about that. We have bushfire appeals. We've seen them and Royal Children Hospital appeals. They take place. And we have many other important fundraising events that we see from time to time. And I applaud all of those causes. And we should care for people who've come across devastating circumstances and have a very desperate need. We should actually dig deep and help those people out. Something within us is touched when we see that, particularly the bushfires of last year, when we see the devastation those people go through. Uh, We should be generous towards those things. But unfortunately, when it comes to that, we only often perhaps give out of our overflow that we may have in life, like sort of what's left over after we've purchased all the things we'd like to have in our lives. If there's something left over, maybe I'll just give out of that overflow somewhat. And then only then, if there's something left over, will I potentially show some sort of generosity. Why is that the case? Why do we only show generosity perhaps out of what we've got left over after we've purchased all these other things we want to make our life comfortable with? Important to think about that. I think it's this. I think we have to understand we live in a materialistic and consumeristic culture. That's the culture we live in. Uh, We're constantly told that we need these material things in our lives to make us happy and comfortable. We need to get all these material comforts around about us to sort of make us happy, make us comfortable, make us feel like that we can survive in life. It becomes very much materialism when we actually think we need to buy these certain brands of things in life to make me feel better about myself. It, It could be, you know, I just can't have any old pair of denim jeans... I need to have perhaps these certain branded denim jeans because if I have these certain branded denim jeans that'll make me feel good about myself, it'll make me feel successful maybe or feel confident or feel good or special about that. It's like materialism sort of grips us and thinks I need those things to make me sort of feel complete. We also live in a consuming culture as well. Anybody heard of Facebook Marketplace? Yeah, probably a few hands going. Few good. That's good. Yeah, I've I've looked at it as well. It's a bit like our current day trading post. Perhaps of some of the older people thinking, I used to, I know what a trading post is. Well, Facebook Marketplace is something similar. It's amazing when you go on there and you see what people are selling. And I'm thinking here of a consumerism perspective. Uh, people are buying stuff, and within months they're actually putting it back up for sale again. It's like the buzz has worn off. The shine has gone off whatever they've purchased. And you'll often see here in some of the, um, the description of what they're selling, you know, it's just like brand new, hardly been used, still in its original packaging. It's like they want to consume something, get their little buzz out of it, and then they can sell it and they'll buy something else. And that has an impact upon us because we become this consuming society. We, need, we just keep consuming these things, feeling this will make us complete. And what does this consuming and materialism generally do? Eats up our finances, eats up our money. We need something to support that sort of lifestyle. And when a culture is like that and we give ourselves to that type of living, here's what happens. 
we sort of begin to tick off all these material and consuming things or wants and then we discover as we've ticked all them off and purchased these things, I've only got a small amount of perhaps resources left over that I can be generous with to help out these causes. But it's funny how we get to that we can begin to think like this. We can actually tell myself or I can justify to myself that I deserve or I need all these material things, all these things that I'm consuming. We actually begin to think, no, I need this. It's not just a want, it's a need. I feel like in life I can't do without these things. So we just keep consuming and we keep buying these material things. We find we actually have a heart that's bound up by these things. We feel like we're on a treadmill, like life just keeps going on in material and consuming things. When we get in that sort of a lifestyle or get in that sort of a bind and all of us here in this room are somewhat infected with that to some degree, that's really a picture here of a culture somewhat going backwards in the way that God has designed us to be and created us to live. Not to be consuming material beings and that's what the source of life is. That's a culture going backwards, particularly when it comes to sacrificial generosity. This helps set us up now to see where Paul is talking about here as he talks about these Philippians. That's who they are as we think about this uh, passage we wrote before. Uh, Paul is writing here a letter of gratitude and thankfulness towards these Philippian people and their sacrificial generosity towards him. Who are the Philippians? The Philippians are a church in Philippi, Macedonia, that Paul had planted 2,000 years ago. Paul was prompted by this Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, to go to Macedonia and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Paul goes there and amazingly, God works in the hearts of these people and many people become followers of Jesus. You can go to Acts chapter 16 and you can read all about that. Not now, perhaps later on. But a glorious relationship here that Paul had with these people. It was remarkable. Uh, These Philippians have been deeply, deeply touched and transformed by the gospel that Paul had shared with them. And if you read through the entirety of this letter, which is the four chapters, uh, what you'll see there is this really affectionate warmth between Paul and these Philippian people. What you'll see there, there's a real bond of loving affection between Paul and these people, and he sees them as partners with him in purpose and in mind for the cause of the gospel. There's this really unique bond here that's created between them. So that's the Philippian people. Who's Paul? Paul is actually writing this letter here from a prison cell, a Roman prison cell. Uh, he Paul's in prison. You might think, why is he in prison? If he's a Christian, shouldn't he be doing good things? Paul's in prison because the Roman uh, world at that time uh, saw Christianity as upsetting the culture and did not want Christians to be influencing the culture around about them. So Paul's in prison because of that. He's chained to a Roman guard uh, 24 hours a day. Never ever set free from that guard. Wherever Paul goes, the the Roman soldier goes with him. Uh, In Roman prisons also, they don't look after you. It's not like the prisons we might see on TV down here, Port Phillip and down those ones uh, towards uh, Geelong Way. Uh, It's not like that. Others have to meet your needs. Other people have to send food and clothing, family or friends. Somebody has to do that. If they don't send you food and clothing in a Roman prison back then, you die. It's pretty simple. Uh, Roman prisons are neither happy nor friendly places to be. But Paul here has received a gift from the Philippians. And we see that there in verse 18. It says there in the middle part, 
having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. There's something that Paul's received here from these Philippians. Probably clothing or probably money. Something to help Paul out as he still continued his gospel ministry even within this Philippian jail. But it's really important here to see, well, okay, did they just send him a gift of some money or some clothing? It's really important to see the context behind these Philippian people on how they actually did this. When we see the context, we actually see a glorious picture of who they are. See, a radical change had come over these Philippians, which saw them live counterculturally when it came to being generous. Have a look in verses 15 and 16 as Paul talks about them here. And he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, that's where they are in Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now Paul didn't only plant this church here in Philippi. He planted churches all over the Roman world. Many, many people heard about Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Many churches were grown. But Paul says there, only one church remained in partnership with him to support him in his time of need. What church is that? It's the church here at Philippi. Why? Because they saw a very large revelation and they got a deep understanding of who Jesus Christ is. With that, with the help of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, they took that truth deep into their hearts and that brought about an amazing transformation over the lives of these Philippian people. And it radically changed them for good. Not just a short-term temporal change, but a long-term permanent change in their hearts and lives. They were now rock solid with Paul in gospel partnership. They knew about the mission of Jesus Christ and they were keen to see that mission go out and extend to more and more people to see the name of Christ grow. Their lives were now sold out for the cause of Christ. They were the only church, as Paul tells us here, that stayed the course with Paul to see the gospel grow. Now that's not the only context here we can know know about this Philippian church. We actually can go a bit deeper and we can see another element of these people which when I read this passage every time, it actually continually blows me away to see their generosity. In another letter, Paul is writing to the Corinthian people. He actually talks about the Philippians and how they're preparing to give a gift. And he actually tells these Corinthians the background here of what's going on in the Philippian church. So come with me to 2 Corinthians 8, and we'll put that up on the screen for you as well. Uh, Esther read this for us before. And Paul says this to the Corinthians, talking about the Philippians. We want you to know, brothers, Corinthians, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, the Philippians. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 
Whenever I read that, something happens with inside me. When I understand what's happening inside the hearts of these people, that description of these Philippians really does blow me away. There's something radically different about them as we understand their context, as we understand their situation. If we really understand it, it actually looks like these people are living for a whole other world and not this world. Come with me to have a little bit of a look at that. Where are these people at, these Philippian people, when they send this gift to Paul in a Roman prison? Look in verse 2, what we just read. Where are they? They are in a severe test of affliction. And they're experiencing extreme poverty. And put in that mix, I'm not sure how you compute that, an abundance of joy. Severe test of affliction, extreme poverty. You would think everything about that would make you feel down the dumps. But they've got an abundance of joy. And in that... All that has worked together in them for an overflow, an overflow in a wealth of generosity. Verse 3, And they gave according to their means, beyond their means, freely and willingly. Verse 4, They begged, they compelled Paul, we want to take part in this. They weren't with Joe's fishing rod hooked and dragged into it. They said, Paul, we want to take part in this. Even though it's in the uh, severe affliction and extreme poverty, we want to give, not just from our means, beyond our means. We want to give something abundant to these people. See, when you read that and you understand the circumstances of these people, you see that a gorgeous picture of sacrificial generosity. You see that something has gripped their heart, changed them. Something has radically got hold of them to make their whole view of this world turn right around in comparison to the world we know about. It's the gospel. It's the person of Jesus Christ who's radically changed these Philippians. Let's see what Paul tells about them, though, as he um, addresses this letter of thankfulness to them. And he does. Paul is massively encouraged here by this Philippian generosity. He sees Jesus all over it. He sees the picture of Christ all over this generosity. Paul knows the circumstances of these people. He knows that they have sacrificially and generously given to him from their extreme poverty and their severe affliction. He writes now to thank them and encourage them and let them know that God hasn't missed... God hasn't missed what you've done. God knows what you've done. God's seen what you're doing. God's seen the sacrificial, generous heart that you've now exercised to show your love to Paul and the transformation of Christ in your life. Look at verse 17, what Paul says here about this giving. Uh, Paul says this, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's Paul now talking about here this, uh, the way God's seen this. So what does Paul, what does he mean here when he says this? Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit from that verse. What Paul's saying here is this. I'm not a money-hungry preacher. And some of you perhaps here for the first time are thinking, why is he talking about money? I, I thought churches, you know, I know they're about money. 
Paul's not a money-hungry preacher, and neither am I. I'm just opening up God's word here is where we are in this passage of Corinthians. Paul's saying, I'm seeking the gift for you. The fruit that increases to your credit. Now, we already learned that Paul early on in verses 10 and 13, where I said that word contentment, Paul's very content where life is for him. He can be abounding in life, and he can be brought low in life, and Paul's content. So he's not talking here about being a money-hungry preacher. Paul's saying here, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What does Paul mean when he says that? That I'm seeking this fruit to your credit. Here's what Paul is saying. God loves and blesses sacrificial generosity. God loves and God blesses sacrificial generosity. Paul is praying here that the Philippians, that the fruit or the product of their giving will increase as a blessing or gift from God to them. Paul likens it there like a gift credited to them. You might think of that perhaps in financial terms. Let's think about first, though, that God delights in this gift. Have a look with me in verse 18, where Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. A gift that is acceptable, it's a sacrificial gift, and it's pleasing to God. What Paul is saying is, what you've done, Philippians, pleases God, brings joy to God. God sees the image of his son being worked out through your lives, and that brings him great delight and great joy, as he sees the Philippians being transformed by this. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing that we're able to do, to be able to bring joy and delight to our Creator, who gives us our every breath by our sacrificial giving, just as the Philippians have done here for Paul while he's in prison. Now, again, I don't want just to get confused here about this language increases to your credit, because if you look at that, it does have this financial ring about it. Because you could ask the question, well, is Paul saying that if I sacrificially give on one hand, that God will sort of pour cash into my bank account? Is that what God's saying in this idea of crediting something to you? Is this the crediting that Paul's talking about? Now, I really think this is important for us to get a right understanding on, because too much of Christianity, too much of Christianity, has subtly gone down the path of come to Jesus for a better life financially. Some people who are in Christian circles may know it as the prosperity gospel that's coming out of the USA. If you come to Christ, he will bless you financially. That is not what Paul is talking about here in this passage. For some people, uh, their primary motivation for giving is to get more back from God. Again, that's not what Paul is talking about here as he uh, thanks the Philippians for what they've done. To help us see what Paul is talking about, let's go to verse 19. And he shows us where he's going and he says this in verse 19, thanking the Philippians, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, you Philippians, you're giving sacrificially, generously. That's gloriously wonderful. Remember this, God hasn't missed it. The God who is limitless He will supply every need of yours. He will provide for you what you need. 
If you have lack in an area and you need that, God will provide that. So Paul is assuring him here of God's provision for them. He's saying you're giving to see the gospel grow, Philippians, and you're doing it sacrificially. He's saying trust this. God will meet your needs. God will supply exactly what you need for that time and for that place. That is who God is. That's the God who gives to us out of his limitless supply to meet our needs. Part of this fruit, um, a credit to their account, I think also looks like this. It's an increase of joy. It's an increase of joy as a product of giving for the cause of the gospel. We already saw some of that in 2 Corinthians 8 before where the Philippians were abundantly joyful, even in those extreme conditions and circumstances. But we also see it here in the book of Philippians as well. Philippians 1.25 says this, as Paul's writing to them back earlier on the letter, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Why is Paul writing to these Philippians? Yes, a letter of thankfulness, absolutely. But he's also writing for them for their progress or their maturing or their growth in the faith. I want you to grow in your knowledge of who Christ is so that transforms your life to experience more of him. But not only that, Paul says, I want you to grow in joy as well. Joy in the faith. A valid experience that God wants us to have in knowing him, to be joyful people. So it's like this. For the Philippians, as you sacrificially and generously give, which is part of gospel living, or we may do the same here at Exchange, what does God do? God grows joy in our hearts as an increase of our faith through this generous giving from a transformed heart. How might that look? We experience joy as we see the kingdom of Jesus Christ growing through our giving, surrendering up our lives and trusting God with the finances he's given to us. We experience joy as we see people maturing in their faith and discovering more joy in Jesus. And that happens through our ability to give, to see the gospel grow, to see the gospel expand. We experience joy as we see the body of Christ growing with more people becoming disciples of Christ. Again, that happens through the natural means that God causes us to use through giving. Seeing the gospel grow, seeing people experience this supernatural picture of Jesus Christ. Uh, Here at a church, we're moving into the planning stages of looking for a permanent home for EC, for Exchange Church. Uh, Through generous, sacrificial giving, that'll be joyful as we move into a gospel ministry centre as well. Because we'll see that the gospel's able to keep growing. More people can experience who Jesus is. They can know that joy and know eternal life. Saved from this world and saved from their sin. That's joy. See, the fruit we harvest, the fruit we harvest from generous giving is joy here and now by our active participation in that. But it's not only here and now, it's also eternal joy as well. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, talking about eternal joy. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. In some way that only God will do, 
what we do here on earth with how we use the God-given money that's given to us will somehow add to our eternal joy in heaven. The treasure of joy that we build up in heaven through our generous giving here will never grow old, will never tarnish as a million years go by. We all buy that new telephone or new whatever and after a few years it's covered in scratches and whatever. That sort of thing will not take place in heaven. Whatever joy we accrue up there by our good works or good deeds down here, they will never tarnish, never grow old because of the glory of what heaven is, the perfection of living with Christ. And we can add to that by what we do here and now. So here's the fruit that comes from sacrificial, generous giving. God meets our needs here and now. Meets our needs. Not so much our greeds, but our needs. God grows joy now and also into eternity for us. And if we get that grasp here of how the gospel transforms perhaps the most difficult aspect of anybody's life is that thing in our hip pocket or that handbag over our shoulder. As God transforms that, we experience amazing joy that only he can give. And what is that? That is a picture of gospel living moving forward in a culture that's going backwards. We can be gloriously generous. Now you might be saying here at this moment, too hard, too hard, way too hard. I can't do that. It's impossible. Who can live like that? Who can be willing to make sacrifices of my hard-earned cash and forego some of these really powerful temporal pleasures that really attach themselves to my heart? Too hard, Todd. You don't know how hard it is. It's absolutely hard. It's it's not even ridiculously hard. It's impossible in our natural strength to live the way Paul is talking about here with these Philippians. We can never do that. Sacrificial generosity does not come naturally to us. It's actually impossible until you meet the person that Paul and the Philippians have met. When you meet that person, everything changes for the good. Everything changes for the good. Who's that person? Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul says about Jesus earlier on in this letter to the Philippians. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, Philippians, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul's talking about here the God-man. God who became a man, who emptied himself of glory, as it were, to become one of us. The God-man, the eternal Son of God, who laid aside his heavenly glory, 
laid aside his heavenly riches, if you want to describe him like that, became poor so he could identify with us. When you see that person, Jesus Christ, when you see that person suffering on the cross, giving up his life as a sacrifice to make the payment for our sin, our wrongdoing before God, when you see him dying on the cross for our sins and redeeming us from selfish living, is what Jesus does, when we, when we truly see Jesus Christ, we discover he's worth it. He's worth it. He becomes a treasure. He transforms our heart and recreates us back into the image of the way God had originally made us. Bit by bit, moment by moment progress. We become brand new people. Jesus gives us the power, as it were, to break free from the materialistic and consumeristic attitudes of this world that we are all under some sort of spell by. And then we're able to use what God has given to us. God's given us many gifts and talents to be able to uh, earn an income. God, it frees us then to be able to use that to grow his kingdom and to bless others. Not do it begrudgingly, but do it gladly and joyfully. Just like C.T. Studd, who had $10 million and he gave it away. I read uh, two days ago, he gave it away in seven checks. Just gave it, and what did it say there in that quote of his? Gladly. So he had met the same God that the Philippians had met and that Paul had met. And that's the same Jesus here that we talk about at Exchange Church. That's the joy we want to spread here into the community where we live to tell people about this Jesus who does set us free to live life on a whole new set of values, to bring glory to his name and to experience the joy that he gives to us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and uh, open up your word. Father, thank you. Thank you for the blessing of uh, discovering the power of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you have loved us so much that you've sent your one and only son to come and to die for us, to pay the price of our sin, but not only do that, to transform us and change us and to set us free now to live for you. Lord, this is a supernatural transaction that takes place and I pray right now, Holy Spirit, please, would you open up blind eyes to see that? Would you pull back the scales that can't see that and would you do that right now so that people would understand who Jesus is? Father, I thank you that you set us free and I thank you that you give us great joy to be able to generously give for the cause of Christ so that others may discover this same joy as well. Please help us in that, Lord, I ask. And please, we pray that we would do that with glad, willing and joyful hearts. Father, we ask we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 